invite you to rise for the gospel. John chapter 2, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple and found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said and they believed in the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing. The holy word, you may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this day as you've given it to us, for the opportunities for, for worship and for fellowship. We ask that you would continue to bless our understanding of how you work in our lives and how you lead us forward to work in the world. Uh, guide us and reveal to us exactly the path you would have us to walk. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't remember what year it was. It might have been four years ago. Might have been three years ago. It was, it was during the weirdness phase of when we were um, having a hard time getting people to be in worship. But there was a a series of texts during the Epiphany season that was talking about the covenantal promise of God. And so we, we started with Abraham and his believing the call of God to go to his homeland. And we progressed ourselves up ultimately towards the Ten Commandments. And this covenantal relationship is something that is, is part of the platform of the congregational church. Uh, congregationalism being a covenantal uh, church as opposed to creedal in terms of individuals coming together at their particular walk in faith and hoping to learn and study the scriptures together and to, and to grow, uh, not basing that so much on a statement of faith, but on the, the feeling, the sort of organic nature of the faith as it, as it occurs to us when we get together for worship fellowship and activities. But the building blocks of our faith do seem to be the Ten Commandments. And I, I gesture because as this Barb Schultz Memorial are the Ten Commandments that fit neatly over each one of our windows. The Ten Commandments can sort of be, when, when I think of when Jesus was approached, not in this passage, but when he was approached by a young learned lawyer who wanted to know what the two greatest commandments were. He says, well, I mean, he knew he was being tested, but he said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, 
all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He says, upon these hang the great law and the prophets. And when you think about the Ten Commandments as we so often hear them and as we heard them this morning, it is, a right, it is truly about right relationship with God and right relationship with our neighbor. We see in the instance that we have God not wanting to be, uh, have any other idol or have any other gods over and being able to honor the Sabbath day and being able to not misuse the name of God. But then all the other ensuing commandments talk about our interaction with God's people. Don't lie and cheat. Don't desire what they have. Don't, try, don't kill them, right? You honor, honor and value their life. So in this covenantal understanding, in these building blocks, becomes the basis for our faith. And we see when Jesus was doing his ministry and engaging, he was always mindful of this. He was always mindful of this, this mission and this charge that God gave him to bring that word into the world, which is, I think, why he showed such a level of compassion with the people that he met along the way, because he realized the message that he was carrying was, was not unique to him. It was, it was God's message. He's like, you are my messenger, and I need you to go and to bring this message to my people so they can understand that I have not forgotten them. So he was very sensitive about this, and he realized that those that he was going to fashion as disciples also had to be mindful that the message that they are carrying, that we are carrying, is not our own, but it is one that has been given to us and that we have to maintain. So since we are in the season of Lent, and some of you, my, my Lenten discipline has, has already burned out. I, I knew it was going to. I, I had high hopes. I was like, yeah, this time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to be mindful. And then the days get away from you and you're like, oh, well. Um, and I was mindful that I had the intention. And then I was mindful enough to let it go. I was like, see, God doesn't want me to do that. So I'm going to let it go. So for Lent, I gave up a Lenten devotion. <laughs> what, what, did you, what did you give up for Lent? So the Lenten discipline fell to the wayside, but since this is the season of Lent, uh, we have, hopefully, and you are doing better staying on course than I am, perhaps you have a more heightened awareness of your time with, with God, and uh, it's not that I don't keep my devotions, I still keep that, I just wanted to add something to my devotions, but life got in the way. But with this heightened understanding, and this call to clear a space, to be more present with God, does that change? Has that changed the way that you've been interacting with God's people? Because that's, that's the hope. The hope is, is that we should realize that somehow during this 40-day, well, less than 40-day pause during Lent, the time that we spend with God the spiritual discipline, the spiritual activity that we engage in is supposed to, when we emerge from it, allow us to be able to interact with God's people in a perhaps more enlightened way. Maybe we increase in patience, a little bit more forbearance. Maybe perhaps we are more inclined to, to clear our schedule so we can be more present with individuals to listen to them. Whatever it is that we haven't been giving them, we give more of that. We make more of our personage accessible to them. And 
then the hope is, of course, you know, when we get into the season of Easter, that we can kind of maintain what we have learned and what we have discovered. I always wonder what age we should really start teaching the commandments. Some people want to teach them to their children, you know, at very, very early ages, and then you refresh them in confirmation so they can get a touch of that. But maybe we should never really stop teaching them or, or, or find a more accessible way to present the commandments to individuals because I have found in my time as a minister that the commandments actually serve as a deterrent for people's involvement with the faith because they don't understand about, they don't understand it in terms of cultivating a relationship with God in order that you might be able to have a more enhanced relationship with God's people. They see it as pejorative. They see it as, um, as, an, as an anchor. This, the commandments, is largely one of the reasons why most people don't want to involve themselves in faith because of all these do's and don'ts. Well, I don't want to do these things. I, I, I want to do the things that God says I shouldn't do, and I don't want to do the things that God says I should do. So because of the sort of heavy-handed nature of the commandments, it actually drives people away from practicing their faith. It drives them away from wanting to be immersed. It's what has defined the church largely as an institution of condemnation. They don't find joy in the commandments. They, it, just, it just seems like I don't get to have fun. But I would think that if we changed our understanding that, that to be able to obey and to adhere to God's word as the platform for our personal and interpersonal relationships with one another, I, I think that actually is a, a bold invitation. I think that that is a, an exciting invitation to enter into what it might be like to have a more enhanced relationship with someone else on the basis of something that God has professed, as opposed to using individuals as a means to an end. What might it be like if we actually truly could treat one another with a sense of compassion, if we could actually value their existence, value their wisdom, value them as an individual just as they have been created and established to work alongside them to accomplish an enhanced world, to hear their story, to have them hear our story, and to realize there's not much daylight between their life experience and our own. We need to rediscover what this call is like to be in service with God and not just for the sake of personal pride, to say, oh, yes, I'm tight with God. You know, I didn't fizzle out with my Lenten devotion like Pastor did. I'm, I'm holding fast. But yet we're miserable to one another. The two have to work in conjunction. We have to have that sort of right vertical relationship, the right understanding of God. And then we have to have a right relationship with, with individuals. And I feel like the only way that that can happen is with the right understanding of, of the opportunities that God gives us. Don't see them as demands. Don't see them as intractable in things. See them as opportunities. And if we can see 
this invitation of God's call to serve and to bless the world as an opportunity, and it doesn't have to be drudgery. And we don't have to be afraid to interact with, with the individuals that God places in our path. And I think that if, if the church universal can, can get back to that understanding, then we can, we can stop bartering and, 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 and splicing scriptures in terms of using it as a means to um, berate other houses of faith and other practitioners of faith who don't seem to be adhering to the text the way we feel they should. And this is what, this is what I just read another article this morning, Bonnie, because Bonnie raised something in Bible study. And it says that I was on the cusp of passing a religious, yes, law, um, um, opening, up, opening up greater access for, for religious expression and making it harder to bring, um, harder to bring legal, legal action against people who feel that they're being religiously persecuted. So that's, that's what's brewing right now in Des Moines. And it, and it got me thinking, of course, because the, the proponents of the bill, obviously, are, are, one, are one party, <laughs> and the, the detractors of the bill are saying, no, this is just going to make it easier for people of, of religious inclination to be able to disparage and to demoralize people who don't fit their religious worldview. Right relationship with God, right relationship with God's people. What does that mean to you? I know what it means to me. <laughs> I know how I feel when I, when I read the Gospels and I look at how Jesus interacted with individuals. He got outside of the synagogue. He went out into the times and the neighboring times. He went uh, you know, over to the land of the, the garrisons and he went and interacted with Gentiles, panicked his disciples. But he's like, I want to show you something. You need to see that. These individuals over here, these people who you haven't talked with, these people who you have some, some concerns about, guess what? They're part of the kingdom. And he had to teach them. He like literally physically had to take them to places where they hadn't gone to because they were like, well, you don't go to that side of town. You don't go to that region. You don't go to that area because, frankly, there's nobody there we need to know. There's nobody there that concerns us, that, that they do their own business. They're, they're already lost. And Jesus went there and brought the good news and dropped it in places where those who were proponents of God's law said, they, you know, there's the boundary. This is where the word of God ends. It is obviously, it doesn't need to go over to these people. We don't know what they believe. It's not really that important. So when Jesus was physically moving his disciples in the neighboring towns and regions and going to areas where it was outside the house of Israel, you have to realize that was causing some shock. That was causing some concern because they were like, this, this really is a new teaching. And then he laid that responsibility on them. He's like, I have shown you these things. You can't go back now. You can't take this good news. You can't take this revelation that I have given you and, and pull back the reins and shrink the borders. Same responsibility of compassion and grace. Well, we think we're going to roll that back now? Because it might be uncomfortable? Because, because, the, because human nature has changed so much we don't recognize it anymore? These people out there are carrying, carrying on in strange activities and we, ooh, we disapprove. Fine, have your disapproval. What, is, what does Paul say in Corinthians? Paul says 
that, that God's foolishness is, is greater than, than human wisdom. And God's weakness greater than human strength. This is Paul's way of basically uh, echoing the prophet Isaiah, saying God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and ways are different than our ways. And maybe God's like, maybe I know some things that you don't know. Maybe I have a capacity that you haven't quite surfaced yet. Maybe you should pay a little bit more attention to me in order that you might be able to get maximize your relationships and your interactions with individuals. People will always sort of stymie us and surprise us. But I think as people of God, we should, be, we should not be like <gasps> shrinking away. I think we should be more amenable to saying, well maybe, well, maybe this is God is trying to show me something. God is trying to teach me something. God is trying. This is what, if you don't think that Jesus, when he was doing his ministry, wasn't expanding the understanding of people of his time, then you're not paying attention to the gospel. And if you think that Jesus' call for us is to be all, all staid and inert and intractable, then, then I think we are misreading the gospel. I think the gospel is still about uh, expanding our capacity to be able to receive God's grace and, and give it as expansively as we possibly can. And to, and to recognize that until we can do that, until we, we are willing to, to let go of, of old moors and, and, and sacred cows and, and, and discomfort, we will never truly be able to understand the depth of what God is, has been inviting us into. I read the gospel as an incredible experience, as, as a full immersive experience of things that we haven't even scratched the surface. I do not read the gospel as a cudgel to keep you in line, to make sure that you follow the rules, that you, have, that you understand the dress code and the conduct and the secret handshakes. I do not, <laughs> I do not, I don't want to live in a spiritual world like that. I do. I actually, we do live in a spiritual world like that. But I don't want to be a proponent of that. I want a God who can set ground rules to where we have the, the, the freedom to be able to love God wildly with abandon. And then to be able to love our neighbors with that same depth that that even defies reason and logic. I want our faith to be foolish. I want our faith to be a stumbling block to those who are looking for signs and, and it doesn't line up with their wisdom. I, I, I want to get lost in what Paul describes about. He's like, to those of us, to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. He goes, but to those of us who are being saved, whose lives are being transformed, who are being renewed day by day, he goes, this is the saving power of God. And you know it when you feel it. You, you, you know when people go, I don't know why you bother with that stuff, that, that old dead legends and all that kind of stuff. You're like, because when I am in the midst of, of receiving grace, when I am being pardoned, when I am being forgiven, when I am being able to be free to love, there is no, there is no other feeling like it. There's just simply no other feeling like that. This is what God makes possible. 
The commandments are they're, they're, they're ground rules. It's a springboard towards a new understanding. But Jesus fulfilled that with his, with his all-encompassing grace and love and his ability to, to meet people where they were at, to not condemn, but to set them free. And so if we are continuing to operate in his name and in his service, we can do no less. I mean, he's already set the bar at that level. So for us to, to, to try to roll it back, we gain nothing. The only thing we can do is continue to build on the platform and the foundation that he has set. As you go forward, I want you to think deeply about how God speaks to you and informs your conversations, your interactions with the people that you, that you serve. And when I say serve, I mean you, you serve them just by, by being in their company. I mean, maybe you are actually physically serving them. But I want, to think, I, want, I want you to be mindful of how God is navigating you to, to help you think about, okay, what do I say in this moment? I'm hearing, I'm hearing this thing. I'm hearing this thing from this person. I'm hearing this concern. I'm hearing their hurt. I'm hearing their anger. I'm hearing their joy. How is God informing you to respond to that, to be able to augment and keep that relationship going? Because we're in danger of letting too many relationships just, just shelve them. You know, there's, there's this thing where we talk about too much material items winding up in the landfill. I dare to say we have too many relationships that are line, winding up in an emotional landfill of individuals that we have just we're, just, we're just, we're just through trying to figure them out. We're just, we're just, we're just tired of where they're coming from. We just, we just walk away. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I don't even know if I like you. And we just give up. And so we have all these, all these children of God, all these sons and daughters of God that are just being jettisoned because we do not want to work on our spiritual relationship with God to say, help me be a better servant to your people. We're giving up. So no, we're not keeping the commandments. We're just following our own whims. But if we were observing the commandments, if we were being mindful of these things, if we worked on our relationship with God, these foolish policies wouldn't be conjured up. Silly, silly policies which, uh, which just marginalize individuals and demean their quality of life. So some other team says, yeah, we got them this time. Woo! Ha <laughs> ha, take that. That stuff might have worked in the playground <laughs> when we were kids, when we didn't know any better. But the stakes are too high right now. We act as if we don't need individuals. Like we can do it all on our own. Just me and my machine, my little artificial intelligence. I don't need anybody else. Walk around the streets with goggles on your head, you know, tripping over people who are like reaching up for some pennies. I'm not talking about returning back to some sort of grassroots. I'm just talking about being mindful of the world that God has put us in right now. And looking around and saying to ourselves, how might I be able to help that situation? How might I be able to help that person in distress? Because I guarantee you, when you're in distress, you want someone to come in. You want someone to be there for you. 
You want someone to be able to drop everything and show up at your house and say, I am so sorry your brother died. And it feels good, though, doesn't it? Feels good not to be forgotten. Feels good to be remembered. Feels good to have somebody who shows up, who cares, who has time to be with you. So why should it be any different when someone needs the benefit of our company, someone needs the benefit of our wisdom, someone needs the benefit of our grace? How dare we keep that from them? And how dare we continue to back policies to continue to shrink this world that God has called us to serve? I find it very distressing. I find the church is starting to dabble into some very dangerous areas. And there's some ministers who are getting on board with some really silly policies. And you can have your little political victory this day or that day, but you could lose the kingdom of God. And it's just not worth it. So we need to think about what God is speaking to us in this moment and in this time. And we need to start using this that God has given us to start saying, you know what? Not on our watch. <laughs>